It's time for the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. On this edition of the Kirby on Sports Podcast, it's all baseball. Getting you set for the start of opening day as spring training has just begun. We're joined by Matt Atkins of the Foulball Area Podcast to discuss anything and everything MLB-related. Plus, my interview with Olivia Garvey to break down the Nationals in their upcoming season as well. All that and so much more, but before we begin, we would like to thank our sponsors, Regroup Building Services, PM Plus Reserves, Shenandoah Primitives, and Chief Graphics. Big thanks, as always, to Dave Johnson and Productions by Quet as well. It's time for another edition of the Kirby on Sports Podcast. It all starts right now. connected this is dave johnson voice of the washington wizards you have connected to the right place because you are listening to my man josh kirby on sports podcast all right welcome back to another edition of the kirby on sports podcast as always a huge thanks to our sponsors regroup building services pm plus reserves shenandoah primitives in chief graphics um back with you for another week as always i'm joined my by my good contributor lead contributor and co-host dan dembski dan what's going on buddy nothing much man just uh still working from home it feels like i've been doing it for years but yeah uh just just surviving and trying to thrive my man that's all we can do can you believe we've been through in this pandemic for a year I mean, it, it feels crazy that that we have had a year of this pandemic. Obviously, things are starting to ter- go back to normal, but still, the world is not 100 percent normal yet. And um, I, I still cannot believe it's been a year. Yeah, it has flown by. And, you know, it was amazing when the time when there weren't sports on how weird life was i think for for more than just you and i just for people in general um even people i think who weren't sports fans felt that sort of eeriness about it and i think that was the hard one of the hardest things about the you know the months after things started to shut down um was missing sports for so long and and trying to find out what to do with ourselves when we weren't like working or going to school or whatnot it was definitely an adjustment, um, and it was it was really weird. I, I I mean, straight up, it seems like we can do more things. Uh, restricted, obviously, but bars are opened up at an uh, X amount of capacity and other stuff like that. But yeah, I, I mean, it just doesn't feel the same. But I mean. It's just the way of life. And uh, I mean, schools are slowly but surely getting back to normal. I know 
Yeah, I mean, in the area where there are a lot of high schools around us, high school sports are starting, but I starting I mean, up, yep, football, a, a, ba- and- a basketball season in the like in February, March. <laughs> I mean, that that's very rare to see in football in like April. Yeah, but I mean, that's just what happened. I mean, it just depends on the county, the school district, whatnot, but they're right. making it happen anyway. Um, um, any in any way possible, excuse me. But um, what one thing that's funny, it just depends on the school district. I know our district, um, they're classifying football and I believe basketball as club sports. Therefore, you cannot compete in the playoffs for a state championship. Uh, that's that's interesting. I think uh, that's probably the best way to handle it right now with the way the way the shape of the world, though. Um, and look, you have a lot of players, um, maybe not a lot of players, especially in this area, but you, you are going to have a handful of players who are going to want to play in, at the college level. And when you have a season start in March or April, the season's not going to end for a couple months, likely. You know, you what, you have 10 weeks of a season or, or, yeah, you have 10 weeks, 11 weeks of a season typically. You know, so that's not going to end until really the summertime um, if, if they play the full schedule. I, I don't know the, the specifics. My point is, you know, I think you're going to see a decision made with players, especially who are, you know, similar to the old college football players not playing in a bowl game and preparing for the NFL draft. You're going to see that similarly here with some really talented high school players that might choose to sit out um, the last few games of the season or maybe the whole season with not just the shape of COVID, uh, but to prepare themselves for for collegiate athletics. Because, you know, it's it's it would be one thing if the season ended on time normally in November or if you're lucky, you get to go and play late uh, early into into the following year in a a state championship if you make it um but that gives athletes especially football players because i think because football season starting at the high school level here in virginia soon you know it gives them eight nine eight eight or nine months to recover um to heal up their injuries or whatever is ailing them and gives them a chance to play at the next level when you have guys that are if they play the whole season done in in early summertime or mid summertime, you know, they're only going to have a couple months to heal up and get ready. So I think that's become a topic of discussion. And I think it's got to be a topic of discussion and you have to give those players, you know, an understanding that, Hey, they, their future's on the line here. They're only 18 at the most 19 years old. They want to keep their bodies in shape. If, if they can play in the next level. Yeah, and one reason why I wanted to d- discuss this to open up the show is um, I, I think this ties into college athletics because yeah. with this pandemic, people who uh, – colleges who are looking at high school players and stuff that have been affected by the pandemic, obviously I assume all high schools were affected worldwide in some way, shape, or form. So my thought on this is 
how does this affect the recruiting process and stuff like that? I mean, I, I, I yeah. can't really wrap my head around it. You know what I mean? But still, it's like the recruiting process and trying to bring these talented kids that colleges have been scouting um, players at different high schools, so on and so forth. And then the pandemic hits and uh, things drastically change. So I'm wondering what how that plays a factor if in any way, shape, or form. Well, obviously, nobody saw this coming, so it's it's very difficult to say. Um, I, I don't know exactly how the, the recruit recruitment has been affected by COVID. I know that, you know, in my mind, it, it would have to be done much, much earlier uh, this year than, than in any other year prior, just, just because, you know, excuse me, um, it's just difficult to, you know, these universities can't wait until, you know, for example, in Virginia, like I said, the season starts. What when does the season officially start, Josh? You probably know the official starting date. Well, yeah, I, I mean, in some counties, they've already started in, in northern right. Virginia, but around us, I mean, it, I, I think it like April, mid March, is... April. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to have the season end, you know, at let's say conservatively three months before the college football season kicks off, that's not time to recruit and sign somebody mm-hmm. and, and, and to commit at a university that, that usually happens, you know, technically um, after, you know, a couple months after the football season um, when, you know, the athletes going into their final three or I, yeah, I guess it'd be three months of school. So, you know, I I just think you we would have to see a lot of universities pay more attention to juniors, maybe, um, and try to track them a little better. I think <clears throat> I think another big big thing has been, you know, there's so much technology out there, and there you know there's you you can go and watch film on any high school football player. Um, on 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 the internet with Max Preps and, and so many other there's so many other services out there now that didn't exist you know 15 20 years ago where you know college coaches and scouts can go and and basically scout the player they want to scout so I think that's going to be utilized in a whole different way and then you know I obviously I don't know how in person stuff would work I think Zoom is obviously a pretty good avenue for a coach coach especially to sit down and talk to a student athlete about their commitment to the university what it means but um here's an article from february let me see if i can open this up here um i i mean how however you look at it i mean it's just i i would imagine there's some sort of something being done different because of this pandemic, obviously touching on your point that nobody knew this was coming. And yeah, this just shocked the world essentially. So, I mean, everything, everything has had to be changed and altered and you got to give the human spirit credit for not only the changing and altering of it, but making the most of what we have to make, make the most of, you know, uh, it's not the best situation for anyone to be in, but you know, as, as a culture, I think we've done a pretty good job. I, you know, I'm not going to speak to, to, to too much of it, but I think 
a lot of people have done a good job of evolving and, and finding ways to change it. The NCAA voted back in uh, mid, mid-February to expand the recruiting dead period through May 31st. So that gives, um, I guess that, that essentially what that means is athletes have a chance to commit to a university all the way up through May 31st. Um, I believe that's what that means. So, so that's good. Um, that, that gives, that gives both the, the universities and the students, you know, a, a, ch- a chance to decide their future because sometimes it really does come down to the end. And, and, and as you know, Josh, we've seen this before where players verbally commit someplace during the season. And then once the season's over, they decide to commit to another school. So, you know, players can be swayed throughout the season by different universities, especially if they're good enough to, to make it in the next level. So I, I think this is important. And obviously, you know, obviously it says here in, in-person recruiting activities are, are banned. So, you know, Zoom and I'm sure Microsoft Teams and Skype and all those are probably, I'd imagine, huge in this, uh, in this, in this year of recruitment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's just one of the points I wanted to touch on. Really quick, let's get to some brief headlines. I I, I sort of saw this coming. We talked off air about this, saying how you thought J.J. Watt is injury prone, which I can agree with, but J.J. Watt, I I thought it was interesting, too, that J.J. Watt announced himself that he was signing with the Arizona Cardinals because people were like, the source is J.J. Watt, and he posted a picture of him lifting in a Cardinal shirt, and that's how he made the announcement. So J.J. Watt, um, back with his former teammate, who is now current teammate, DeAndre yeah. Hopkins. So yeah, I, I sort of saw this coming. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if DeAndre was like, hey, J.J., come on over to Arizona. We could really use you or something like that. Well, their their defense needed needed a lot of help, and uh, you know he's obviously not going to be the main fix. I mean, they, they have a ton of stuff they need to address in uh, in the draft and 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 in free agency before the season. But you know, I I I don't know about his longevity. You know, I've been concerned with that for a while. He was, I mean, think of how he was a star. You know, eight to ten years ago, he was he was probably the biggest name one of the biggest names in football, if definitely the biggest name on defense. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I, I get a little concerned with all the injuries he's had. But what, what I do like about this contract is it's only a two-year deal. So, you know, they're not locking in for a long time. They know J.J. Watt's 31 years old now. You know, he's not going to have the same giddy-up he had 10 years ago. So, you know, those things... You know that that makes sense to me, um, and in, it it looks like the you know he's going to make about about fifteen five a year, which is it's just a a decent amount of money for a guy who you know is his age and really I I hate to say his his little brother has bolstered his name in the last few seasons, but really. That, that that's kind of what I'm going to say. I think the way TJ Watt has played, um, he, he's taken the Watt name to another level here in the, in the last couple years. But I think also then we remember 
how then we are reminded about JJ Watt because we hadn't been think, really thinking about him. I don't think um, in the in the same way we did when he was you know defensive player of the year in 2015 for the third time in in five seasons and you know so or, or four seasons rather. So you know it's 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 to me to me it's a lot of money, Josh. I I do think it's a lot of money. Well, and I sort of hope that this change rejuvenates J.J. Watt and he'll be able to play more physically. And I think Houston just, he was fed up with Houston, all the decisions being made. Well, we hear about Deshaun Watson, all the teams that are calling for him already and um, the reports saying, oh, Watson's going to sit out in miss preseason, the start of training camp or in the start of the regular season, potentially that's that that's a big move. If that happens, because if Houston wants to sit on Deshaun Watson and not trade him and Watson has said that he does not want to play. For Houston, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I agree with him. If I was in his shoes, I would be demanding a trade because Houston, Absolutely. I think they have went from um, just bad, a bad team at the beginning of the season to absolutely garbage, absolutely awful. I mean, the or not just the, the, the players, the gameplay, but the management. I, I, I think that there needs to be a full clean house in Houston, but that's another story for another day, but still going back to JJ Watt, I really, really think he could get rejuvenated and he can really help this Cardinals team out. But yet again, there is that fact that JJ Watt has been known to have season ending injuries. And yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean obviously I, I, go back, I don't want okay. that to happen. Uh, I, I hate to see a player of J.J. Watt's caliber always go down with an injury that's season-ending. But still, I mean, uh, if that doesn't help it happen and Watt stays healthy, I, I think that would be a great move, and he can really help the Cardinals' defense. I mean, if, if history is any indication, Josh, let's go back to 2016-2017, where he played three games in 2016 uh, and and was out with an injury in and in five in 2017, and then in 20, you know, people were counting him out. I remember people saying he's done for. Da 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 da. Comes out in 2018, um, makes makes a Pro Bowl and 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 is an All Pro. Had seven forced fumbles that season. I mean, he was just an absolute beast. Um, and you see the same thing the past two seasons. I mean, he started eight games in 2019. He played the full game full season last year. You know, I'm looking back at history, and it's that third. It was that third season, after a couple of tough seasons, where he broke through. So maybe if history's an indication, this this could be, you know, this this could be the season for him. But I just I'm I'm one of those people where I I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, he he didn't have any injury issues. He didn't miss a single game until 2016, and then he goes two seasons and only plays eight games in those two seasons I mean that's where a lot of people have been tough on him um and look he plays a physical position and I don't know if it's something he could do to avoid you know the the contact I mean it's it's a contact sport obviously but 
especially um, some of his recurring is- uh, injury issues. But I, I don't know. I know I I know I said I think he's done, but but now looking at this, I'm not so sure. Um, you know, I th- I think if he has a tough year this year, I I I do think he's gonna he's gonna consider retirement. I I really do. Uh, just some points I wanted to touch on. Um, so so much to discuss in all over the sports world. I mean, yeah, yeah just to touch on it. Kyle Rudolph unexpectedly got released from the Minnesota Vikings. I found that sort of a surprise, but I, I think the Vikings are building younger. Um, I, I mean, Rudolph was good, but uh, we discussed off air that, uh, I mean, the tight end is st- sort of becoming not that valuable of a position. And well, I mean, what, what you have is you can, t- you know, you can take any guy and make them a solid tight end. If, if they have the right quarterback and they're in the right scheme, it can happen. It's not always the tight end, especially now. I'd, I'd say in, in, in the, you know, 10, 12 years ago, that was a different story. But now, I mean, you, you have Travis Kelsey and then you pretty much have everybody else. You know, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, of course, he's the exception to the rule and he's got Patrick Mahomes, but he also is just a heck of a tight end. And, 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 and you have Gronk, too. I mean, Gronk came back and Gronk's just a just a heck of a tight end. I mean, those are the two names that pop out in my head. Um, outside of that, I, I think the tight end is I think most teams, you know, it's just going to depend on the scheme they're in, the quarterback they have. And, and how they're being used a lot of times, too, Josh. I mean, a lot of these guys are being asked, especially when they're young tight ends, uh, to come in and run block a lot of times. And sometimes we we never get to see their full town on display. But, you know, Kyle Rudolph was there 10 years. He, he was definitely he was definitely good, a good player there. And, and definitely when they were having some of their tougher seasons, um, he was he was the bright spot for them. I, I, I do think he'll get signed by somebody just because he's a veteran tight end and whether he is as productive as he has been in the past or not, you know, I think a lot of times veteran leadership means more than just how good can they be at this point in their career. So much more to get to here on the Kirby on sports podcast. I'm Josh rolling with me is Dan stick with us right here. On the Kirby on Sports Podcast. I'd like to take a moment to talk about my friends over at Regroup Building Services, specializing in custom homes, remodels, additions, and so much more. If you're looking for a new place to call home or just need repairs on your current one, look no further because Regroup Building Services has you covered. Just a couple months ago, Regroup Building Services came in and redid our entire kitchen, and boy, does it look great. I cannot recommend them enough. So if you're looking for anything to be done, make sure you check them out at www.regroupbuildingservices.com. Once again, that's www.regroupbuildingservices.com where they do the honeydews that your honey don't. Make sure you tell them Josh sent you. All right. Once again, I'm Josh rolling with me on the Kirby on Sports Podcast is Dan Dembski. We are getting into some MLB baseball talk. Spring training is officially back. 
and I, I'm excited. I, I believe for the most part, it's going to be a, like a full 162 game season uh, to my understanding still, but here to talk baseball with us and break down this new season of baseball along with spring training is our good friend matt atkins of the foul ball area podcast he's also a producer with sirius xm radio um matt uh if you weren't here if you didn't tune in for the new year's eve live stream matt uh was on the new year's eve live stream as well so matt thanks so much for taking the time to be with us how are you sir I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking about some baseball and uh, breaking down spring training and getting into some of the offseason news and previewing this upcoming season. I think it should be a good one, and I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, I I appreciate you coming on first and foremost. So before we begin, um, I I just want to sort of recap again about your podcast, the Foul Ball Area Podcast, a great production, by the way. Um, you, um, You talk about baseball news and college baseball and stuff, but you're also running a limited series um, covering the baseball towns in the state of Virginia, and you're covering uh, the good beers in baseball, because that's what you usually like, beer and baseball, because what better to get together than beer and baseball? Yeah, seriously. I mean, beer and baseball just go together better than just about anything else. And so uh, you, you got to gotta get both of those on the podcast, uh, talking to local breweries, talking to the baseball teams. And, you know, we, we like to uh, bring beer in in all kinds of different ways. We started a, a new beer review segment with my fiance uh, every other week. I have her on and, you know, she's been hounding me to get on the podcast for, for years now. So finally let her on and we do a, a beer review segment every other week, but yeah, beer and baseball is my two favorite things. And so love doing the podcast, getting it out there. It's a, it's, it's fun. It's some tough work getting it out every week, but I really enjoy it. Just yeah. a, just a quick question. How did you come up with the idea to sort of hook up local beer and local breweries to local baseball, especially the Valley Baseball League, which I know, you know, especially here in in the Shenandoah Valley is so is is probably one of the biggest attractions, I think, um, that's widespread. So so how did you how did you go about doing that? Well, like I said, I mean, beer and baseball are two of my favorite things. And anytime I visit a, a new town, I like to check out the local breweries that are in that area. And so I was just thinking I wanted to put this together like a travel guide in podcast form. And so I was mm-hmm. thinking, what would I want to know about if I was visiting that town? I'd want to know about the baseball teams that were there if I was there during baseball season. And I would want to know about the local breweries. So that's that's the the approach that I took towards it. And I, I try to find a local brewery for each episode and kind of highlight them and show our listeners what they have to offer. I think another thing I really enjoyed that you do is you bring you start with the historical background of the town which is is so cool because you, you bring it like full circle. And then you also discuss like local attractions outside of those. Like um, I know you had Kirby on one of your recent episodes um, and he talked about the walking mall a lot. He sure likes talking about the walking mall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Put me um, on the spot with I, the triangle diner, man. <laughs> oh yeah. I was like, man, I, w- I wish I was there. I, I could sort of answer that. But yeah, um, I... I, I really enjoy that. Like that, it must be kind of hard to research that because I know there's a, with a lot of towns, you know, it's hard to find that sort of information. I'm sure a lot of times. 
Yeah, well, I'm glad that you enjoy that because I'm kind of putting this together each episode and I'm like, do people really care about the the history that I'm talking about in this town? Like maybe they do. I don't know. But I figure it's a good place to start. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you enjoy that. And yeah, some towns, I mean, there's a lot of history in those towns. Like the first yep. episode that I did was Richmond. Richmond has so much history oh, just because of you know the size of the city that it is. But the, the, the events that were here in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, and then ever since then, there's so much history here. So trying to pick out which events I wanted to highlight in the episode, it was kind of difficult. And then even these smaller towns like Winchester, there's a lot of history in those towns as well. So I, I like highlighting the local history for each episode. So have you found it difficult to try to get in contact with these teams and these breweries to try to get interviews to add to the podcast? It has been difficult at times. Uh, There are some teams that in the Valley Baseball League specifically that don't have any real contact info, like an email address or anything on their website. So I had to reach out out to them via Facebook, uh, message Mm -hmm. them on Facebook. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to shame this team, but, um, the, the Covington lumberjacks, I messaged them on Facebook and they never responded. And I can say this cause I have a friend that's from Covington and he always talks about how they're stuck like 50 years in the past. I think maybe they just don't know what a podcast is, but could, could be, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, it is difficult at times. And sometimes the breweries, they don't get back to me uh when i email them and it's a little frustrating a little difficult but you just got to keep trying different breweries or keep sending emails and eventually hear something back or sometimes i have to improvise and um you know just do what i can for for a specific town and try to put out whatever episode i can so uh along with the foul ball area you can check out the foul ball area at uh foulballarea.com if i'm correct um good so uh Tell us a little bit about your job at Sirius XM. I know we touched on it in the New Year's Eve thing, but that was a live stream. But I, I, I'm interested in sort of the radio aspect of sports and how it all works. So you're a part-time producer with the MLB side of Sirius XM, correct? Correct. I'm an associate producer on MLB Network Radio. So I'm working three to four days a week for them, putting together shows, uh, doing all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I'm not ever on air. Um, so I'm just doing behind the scenes stuff, booking guests, coming up with uh, topics to talk about, putting together production elements, all that kind of stuff behind the scenes to get these shows ready for air. Man, that that is really, really cool. What's the biggest guest you've ever booked on a radio show? That's a good question. Biggest guest, see, so usually the shows that I'll do, I just book like writers and broadcasters Our full-time producers and our assistant program director. They handle booking like all our players and managers and coaches and all of that. So I've never booked a manager, but I have, you know, reached out to some, some writers for the athletic or MLB.com guys that I follow on Twitter to get my baseball news from. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just shooting them a text. Cause I just have their casually have their phone number. Um, Booking guests, I've never really booked that big of a guest, but it is cool when I'm working on a show with one of our full-time producers and we have a guy like Lucas Giolito on and I'm just like Ooh, wow. casually on a Zoom call with Lucas Giolito who <laughs> threw a no-hitter last season. So, I mean, that, it's really cool. 
Man, that that is that is very great to hear. I I mean, once again, I love that aspect of sports radio, and um, you must be getting a lot of valuable insight to add to your podcast working in this role and like seeing all the baseball news and stuff. Am I right in saying something like that? Yeah, definitely. There are definitely days where I'll be working a show during the day or the day before. And then my co-host Trey Lyle and I, we record our podcast and I definitely repeat some of the talking points that I heard from our hosts because we have guys that are world series champions and MVPs on our channel. So right. obviously they know what they're talking about. I'm going to repeat their talking points in my own podcast, but definitely learn a lot and get a lot of insights from working on the channel. All right. So let's get into some MLB baseball talk. I, I'm, I'm just so glad it's back. Uh, spring training. Um, wait, first and foremost, let's actually rewind to the new CBA or whatever that agreement was got denied. So the, as of right now, they're doing a full 162 game season, right? Yeah, they're going for 162 games. That it's a, a big step up from last year when they only played 60 games. Wow. Um, that's that's what the the two sides, the players and the league, agreed upon: 162 games. So I'm excited for it. I think most baseball fans, and I think the players are excited for it as well because last year just wasn't enough baseball. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously from 60 to 162, I knew, know 60 was an adjustment with COVID and everything. Do, do you think there's going to be like a huge difference from going from 60 games to 162 again? Or are players just going to go back to normal preparation like they were before the pandemic started? I think there will be a big difference because – and I think where you'll see the difference the most is when it comes to pitching, because you have guys last year, I don't think anybody threw more than a hundred innings last year or hardly mm -hmm. anybody did. And now you got guys that are going to go out, throw 200 plus innings in 2021. So that's going to be a big difference. It's going to be tough on their arms. So I think pitching is going to be key in 2021. You got to have pitching depth because no one really knows how these pitchers are going to handle the this season. I mean, they're playing, Last year, they played a third of a regular season. So they're playing 162 games this year. So much more than they did last year. The, the innings are going to double, if not more. So the, the pitching is going to be really interesting to watch how teams handle their pitchers. If they try to shut them down early or limit them, that's going to be key in this season. Yeah, and I think the another big difference is like when a player gets off to a cold start this year, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. Last year, we only we knew that it was a shortened season. And really, you know, if a player was cold the first 15, 20 games, then they were written off, you know, for is it for any sort of competitive, you know, if they were going to bounce back at any point, you know, there, there's there really wasn't a sense that those guys would bounce back. So I think that's going to be a big difference, too. Um, yeah, definitely. And I'd even, you know, you could flip that around and say guys that start off hot this year, they might not end up finishing anywhere near the top in any awards voting. You look at a guy exactly. that we're probably going to talk about in a few minutes, Fernando Tatis Jr. He started off really hot for the first month, month and a half of last season. He was pretty much a lock for National League MVP. And then he just slumped for the last month of the season. If he, if he starts off for a, a month this season playing really well, it's not going to matter because the season's so much longer. 
Yes. So uh, let's dive right into it. You talked about Fernando Tatis, the most recent um, move in this offseason. He gets signed to a 14-year $330 million contract. I mean, I mean, that's huge. It still astonishes me to this day that baseball still doesn't have a salary cap. It, it, it's incredible. And you see these massive contracts getting slapped on players to keep them long-term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely arguments for and against a salary cap, but you definitely see so many huge contracts in baseball, a lot more than other American sports. Uh, of course, I think soccer has some insane contracts, but as far as American <laughs> sports go with football and basketball, you don't see contracts like this in the NFL and the NBA. So a 14 year, $340 million deal. I, I don't, I honestly don't know. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. is definitely a very talented player. Definitely has what it takes to be, one of the top players in this league and 14 years from now, he could be one of the best of all time. But the, the thing that I keep coming back to is that he hasn't even played 162 games in his career yet because his first mm. season, his rookie year, he got injured halfway through the year. And then last season, they only played 60 games. So he's not even played a full season yet. And he's getting rewarded with a 14 year, $340 million deal. I think, He'll probably end up being deserving of that contract, but it's just too early for me to tell, too early for me if I were the Padres to feel comfortable giving him that deal. And they still had a few more years of club control on him. I mean, it's not like he was going to be a free agent next season or anything. They still had a few years before they had to worry about him leaving in free agency. So I, I don't know if I would have given him this contract, but the, the guy is a stud and he's going to be a really good player. Yes, yeah, so um, along with Fernando Tatis, uh, the Padres have made some free agent acquisitions as well. Sign it. No, I'm sorry. That was trade, not free agent. I'm getting these football terms still. <laughs> I'm, it's crazy, but still, we had a huge trade that brought Blake Snell and you Darvish to the Padres. I mean, you Darvish overcoming injury in the past, but still two acquisitions, like you're saying, um, pitching is going to need to be uh, key this season in the MLB. But these two pitchers are looking pretty good for the Padres. They, It looks like the Padres are going to be the team that in their minds, they want to make it all the way. Yeah, definitely. I think the Padres had a very good season last year made the playoffs for the first time in a while, and then they lost to the Dodgers. They saw the Dodgers go on to win the World Series, and they thought, all right, what do we need to do to beat the Dodgers? And they went out there this offseason, and they did everything they needed to do. Trading for these pitchers is huge, because you look at you, Darvish. He was a Cy Young candidate last season. Blake Snell is just a few years removed from a Cy Young award. These are two very good pitchers that are really going to benefit the Padres. And everyone's talking about this season – getting these players, but they still have Mike Clevenger, who they traded for uh, towards the end of last season. He'll be injured this year after he had Tommy John surgery, so he'll probably miss the, all of this season. But when he comes back in 2022, and they still have Darvish and Snell, plus they have Denelson Lamette, who's a very good pitcher, one of the best young pitchers in the game, and Chris Paddock, who two years ago was the talk of the league, now no one's talking about him because they brought in so many other great pitchers. San Diego has a fantastic 
starting rotation. Plus they added Mark Melanson in the bullpen. He's one of the best closers in MLB. I mean, their, their pitching staff is looking really, really good and like it might rival the Dodgers, which is saying something because the Dodgers, of course, they have Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller added Trevor Bauer this offseason. So the Dodgers are set up with a very nice pitching staff as well. But the Padres brought in so many good players this offseason, especially with Darvish and Snell. They're really setting themselves up, up for success. And I think they really were motivated by that loss to the Dodgers in the playoffs last year. Absolutely. So I want to, I, I want to actually circle back to the Tatis contract. A lot of people are making comparisons to Fernando Tatis's contract in Juan Soto, the Washington nationals, how people feel Juan Soto should be signed long-term. Uh, I, I still think Soto is pretty long, uh, young me being a nationals fan, but what are your thoughts about this comparison? And do you think Juan Soto should get signed in the long term? Yeah, definitely. You look at what he's done already. I mean, he's he, right now, he is a better player, a better hitter than Fernando Tatis Jr. He's already led the Nationals to a World Series. Of course, they had plenty of other talented players on that team, but he was a key part of that World Series winning team. Juan Soto is a very good player, consistently ranked among the top in the league. So I think he should definitely be locked up with a long-term deal. And I think the Nationals probably feel a little pressure seeing, you know, the Braves locked up Ronald Acuna Jr. for a, a long-term deal last season. The Padres now locking up Tatis for 14 years. I think they probably are looking at the teams around the league that are signing the young, talented players to these long-term contracts. And they probably feel a little pressure because Juan Soto knows how much he's worth now. Yeah, and, and don't forget who Juan Soto's agent is. I mean, it's it's Scott Boris, and we all know how good he is at wheeling and dealing and getting players every bit of what they deserve. I definitely agree with that, Matt. And actually, um, uh, he had a quote here in this in the in this athletic article from um, I guess right after the yeah right after the the, the Tatis contract, and he said Juan Soto has his own unique place in this game. So I mean, we we all know that. You know, he's going to do everything he can to make sure if the Nationals don't give him a long term contract, then he's going to they, they're going to find a team that does. Um, you know, obviously, the way arbitration works and sort of the other stuff that gets in the way as far as what does it have to be six years of service before you can become a free agent or seven? I believe years? so. Yeah. yeah so six it's, years. it's it's a little dodgy there, but, um, you know, he's definitely going to do everything he can to make sure that Soto gets every penny is worth. And I mean, so far, I think Soto's earned every, every bit um, just as much as is Tatis, especially because Soto has been healthy, Matt. Um, I mean, like you said, Tatis has had injuries um, and obviously last year, the shortened season. So th this year is going to be very telling. Um, yeah, obviously when you sign a 14 year contract, you can't, <laughs> you're not going to be able to base his whole career off of this season, but uh, I, th I think it's going to be quite the, uh, quite the preview for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think Juan Soto has to, uh, you know, he, I mean, he's trying to get one of these deals now. So I think he's already proven that he's worth it. I don't know what the nationals have to see to, to agree with that and to, right. to decide to give him one of these deals. But I think that no matter what he does, he's going to go out on that field and prove that he is deserving of one of these long-term contracts and the nationals, I think will end up giving it to him. Yeah. I, I think the Nats thing I think they've been really hesitant to give players 
in recent years, like big contracts, in my opinion. I, I, I feel like there was the opportunity was there to like give Bryce Harper a massive contract, but that ended up not working. And now he's with the Phillies. I know I'm talking in the past, but I just I, I'm just rambling off my thoughts here, like how I think the Nats operate, but it would be very, very beneficial. Um, with Juan stats, he's young, but uh, once again, he's proven in himself, like you said, and I, I, I think that would really, really be good uh, to see Juan Soto locked up long term because this is a player that can do great things in years to come in Washington. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what everybody expects from him. So uh, I, I think it's more a matter of when he gets this contract and not if, but you know, these long-term deals, they don't always work out. These big contracts do not always work out. Dan knows with the Orioles signing Chris Davis to that huge contract (laughs) a couple of years ago. I mean, they don't always work out. Uh, You had, had to put that dagger in me. Didn't you, Matt? It just came to me and I had to get it out there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, it's known as the worst contract in baseball history. Most likely. Well, I guess, well, maybe not, maybe not. But um, I wanted to, to go back and, and sort of talk about Tatis and Machado now. Um, of course, Machado signed a, is, in a, is in a 10-year, uh, $300 million contract. Of course, he gets, uh, you know, his base salary uh, for, from here on out is $30 million a year. And I think the interesting thing to note, and this is something, the way the Padres sort of structured these, um, the Tatis contract seems to be based around um, – waiting to give him the max amount of money. Um, he's not scheduled to make $20 million until 2025. Um, and then in 2029 is when he hits thir- uh, $36 million. So, um, you know, Machado has has an opt-out available after 2023. Um, I Now, I don't, I don't know if he'll opt out, but do you think this was a smart move by the Padres? Because it seems like they're... They, they know what they have in Machado. They have a, obviously a long-term contract, but if he does opt out, you still have, you know, Tatis is, is nailed in there. I mean, he, um, he doesn't, ha- he has a no trade clause through, uh, 2028. So he's not, he's not going to be going anywhere. Um, what are your thoughts on how the Padres handled sort of the layout of the contract? I, I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think that's smart. It allows them to continue making moves, uh, while, the, the salary for Tatis is lower in those years. It allows them to continue making moves and adding pieces if they feel they need to, to try to restructure the team and try to get to where they need to be to, to ultimately end up winning a world series, because that is clearly their goal right now with all the moves they're making. So keeping his salary lower in these years, that allows them that flexibility before they end up having to pay him, like you said, 20 and $30 million a year. What's the, uh... What's the window for the Padres to win a championship? Obviously, they've signed a lot of big contracts, but do you think the next two or three years, or are you looking further out maybe could be their, their best chance to win a World Series? I would look further out, honestly, right now. With, with how young Tatis is, with Machado only entering the third year of his contract, so he's got eight more seasons with the Padres if he if he decides to say, if he doesn't use his opt-out. Right. With the the... Other players that they're bringing in, uh, they, they signed Hassan Kim from Korea. Um, they, I mean, they have good prospects. They have 
pitching prospects that could come up and make an impact. I think I would look further out. Like they could win in the next two or three years, but that's not their window. Like it, it extends further than that for their opportunity to win a World Series title. Yeah, and, and and that that's a good point. That was probably their goal in signing these bigger contracts to give themselves more of an opportunity to win in the long term. Do you think now this this is obviously going to be a long season, and we can't really judge what's going to happen this year, especially between the Padres and the Dodgers. But do you think they're as good as the Dodgers right now? I mean, this is a hot debate going on. I mean, the the Dodgers are simply loaded. I mean, right? They they're they're the most talented team in in the National League, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, so I think that I think the Dodgers are still the better team and I don't know. I think it would take till the end of the season for us to say that the Padres are better because I mean, the, the Dodgers are the defending world series champions. Exactly. They have Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts, uh, the, the great pitchers that we mentioned earlier, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Trevor Bauer, uh, they have David Price, who should be coming back this season. I mean, they're just such a loaded team. The Padres are looking very good, but I don't think until we actually play some games and get through this season, I don't think we can say anyone's better than the Dodgers. Yeah, I like yeah, that. I, I, feel I like, like that it's... because because I, there's I... so many hot takes out there about people saying, you know, of course, the sports media world, as you well know, is full of a lot of foolish people with a lot of hot air. And um, I like that. I like that you stay even keel like that because I think, I think that approach is is most smart, honestly. Especially because we, we haven't even, we've only seen spring training, and you can't judge anything off spring training. So yeah, I'm. I mean, I feel like it's still too early to tell because we're just in spring training, and we're gonna actually have to see some baseball. But yet again, it's a 162 game season, and a lot can happen within 162 games in a season. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of ways the season could go. I mean, everyone's building up the Padres. They had a great year last year, but last year was short. So it, it is possible that they could end up not panning out this season. They could not have the great season that everyone is expecting them to, or they could go on a tear and they could overtake the Dodgers. So anything could happen in 162 games. It's a long season. It's going to be a while before we really know who's competitive this season uh, okay. And, okay, and injuries now, so, too. You can't, you can't account, you can't yeah. account for injuries. You never know. Yeah, that. You're right. Yeah. That, that's a good point there too, Dan. So I, I, I want to move on. I want to talk about the next acquisition uh, the New York Mets pick up Francisco Lindor from the Indians. I, I just think all around this makes the NL East as a whole much more competitive. The Braves are looking better than ever. The Nationals, I, I mean, with their additions, John Lester in the pitching staff, Schwarber, and you have Josh Bell. Granted, I think these guys are, except for Josh Bell, are kind of older on the old side. So I'm not sure if the production's all there from when they were back in their prime. But still, this NL East is shaped up to be a, a pretty good division, wouldn't you say, Matt? Yeah, I think you could argue that it's the best division in Major League Baseball, or at least the most competitive. Because, like you said, the Braves, they've won three division titles in a row, looking at a fourth. All the projections have them finishing third or fourth in the division. I don't see that happening. They haven't lost that many key players. They, they brought back Marcelo Zuna, 
I mean, they still have a very good team. They should get Mike Soroka back this year after he tore his Achilles last season. So they should be a very good team. They should compete for a division title. You have the Mets who, like you said, they brought in Francisco Lindor, one of the biggest acquisitions of the offseason across Major League Baseball. And they also made some other moves. They signed James McCann to be their catcher. They brought in Trevor May to uh, bolster their pitching staff. I mean, they are just a, a very good team on paper right now. You have the Phillies who signed JT Realmuto again. You have the, I mean, the Marlins made the playoffs last year. So you can't even count the Marlins out, even though they're the Marlins. So this National League East should be a very competitive division. I, I'm really looking forward to it. Of course, I am a Braves fan, so I'm hoping that they can <laughs> repeat as division champions. But I think it will be very tough and it will be very competitive. And, you know, the Nationals, like you said, they made some moves. They brought in some veteran guys like Lester and Schwarber. I think Bell will be a, a big addition uh, in the lineup and at first base. Lester might not be as good as he used to be, but he's still a veteran pitcher. He's a winner. And so I think that that's going to be key for the Nationals. And I think that Schwarber will be a, a good addition in the lineup as well. So up and down, this division is extremely competitive and should be the most fun to watch throughout all of baseball. Yeah, and, and you know, last year you look at that division and uh, it's before the season, obviously, uh, before COVID, I guess, uh, um, you know, the Braves are definitely the favorite, and, but everyone was going to write off the Marlins, um, especially after how their season started with all those players they had tested positive for COVID. They had a huge outbreak. Um, and I just think the way they were able to come back from that and make the postseason is amazing. Um, and they're, I definitely agree. I think every one of these teams could contend for that division. Um, I, I think I agree with Matt. Uh, the, the Braves are the clear favorite. I mean, they have been dominant the last three or four years in that division. Um, but, but the Nationals are, I, I think the Nationals are close, I, I must say. Uh, I think they have all the pieces they need to, you know, get back to um, where they were just, just a couple years ago. So um, that's going to be one of the most interesting divisions, I think, to watch this year where every team's competitive and, um, it's it it should be a lot of fun game after game. Yeah, I I, I mean, the it's really great to hear the insight uh, once again. Uh, we're with Matt Atkins of the Foul Ball Area Podcast. I'm joined with Dan Dembski as well. So um, it's gonna be great to see. I mean, being a Nats fan, um, obviously they've had trouble with the Braves, and it scares me to see the Braves this good. But um. Let's get into some actual spring training. Spring training has started. I, I know games are on and off televised. What what have you seen from spring training so far that you, you really like, Matt? So unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch too many spring training games so far because they're, not too many of them are on TV. The ones that are are on MLB Network. I don't get MLB Network, unfortunately. Uh, but of course... <laughs> course i've been following along on twitter and trying to keep up with everything that i can uh, i'll tell you what i don't like from spring training is they're playing six and seven inning games yeah. which I, I mean it is it is spring training it is exhibition games but six innings that's that's like little league that's not major league baseball i don't know what and and you look at the fans who are paying extremely high prices for tickets this season because there are limited fans in attendance they're not getting a discount for a six inning game. They're paying nine inning prices and getting six innings of baseball. Oh, so that's man. a ripoff. 
that's a ripoff for the fans. Oh. Um, there also there's a, a rule now in spring training where if a pitcher has thrown 20 in, or 20 pitches in one inning, you can just call the inning off regardless of how many outs there are. Because that's what happened I, with the Red Sox. I get Sox. that. Yeah, I get that because it's spring training. The games don't matter. You don't want to wear out your pitchers this early. But still, when you when you're a fan and you're watching this game paying all this money to be there and watch your favorite team in spring training and the inning just ends because the coach says, all right, we're calling it that I'd be a little disappointed. Does does this, does this come to a point where spring training is eventually just completely phased out? Because to me, that's what it's, it sounds like it's heading in that direction. Now, maybe because of COVID they've done some, you know, some rule changes and things like that, but it seems like to me, it's getting more and more, in insane i think in a lot of ways it's it's becoming less accessible to fans and not really entertaining so i hope not i love spring training uh you know i love just seeing stuff on social media where they tweet the videos of the players showing up to the facilities each day videos of the players practicing interviews with the players i just love watching it and i'm like man, I wish I was in Florida right now. They just, they just look so <laughs> relaxed, you know, yeah. you just stroll into the ballpark on a, uh, on a Tuesday morning in early March and it's, you know, 70 degrees and feels great outside and just hanging out at the ballpark, watching baseball, playing baseball. It just looks like such a fun time. I hope they don't get completely rid of spring training, but these, yeah. these changes they've made are a little disappointing. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. I, I feel like spring training uh, before we hit this pandemic was a an actual enjoyable time. And well, when I, I remember the last sporting event I watched before COVID took everything away. I was actually down with Dan in Blacksburg and I was watching the Nats versus the Astros in spring training. And uh, obviously it was Davey Martinez versus Dusty Baker, former nationals manager after that huge controversy of cheating and stuff. And uh, I mean, the atmosphere of spring training, it's something completely different that it, it's something unique that in my opinion, you can't really find at a major league ballpark. Right. They're all in Florida or Arizona in these warm weather climates. It just seems so so chill and so relaxed it's not the the high pressure and the stress and intensity of a, a regular season game it's just practicing playing ball just hanging out in the in the warm weather in the sunshine enjoying yourself it just seems like a really good time and I, I I've never been able to make it down to spring training but it's on my bucket list I really want to go down there one year yeah, so I, I was going to ask you before you already mentioned it, the mercy rule with 20 pitches and you can call the inning. The Boston Red Sox most recently had to use that, and I read an article about it saying um, the, the pitcher, the next time up, he went one, two, three. So, I, I mean, obviously, I don't like the rule, but I still feel like um, – for spring training, it, it, it's something that can be used if your pitcher is just not getting the job done, you know. But, I, I mean, with that, in six-inning games, I mean, I, I had no clue that was even a thing. Six-inning games in the spring training? No. It should be nine innings. And the ticket prices should reflect a six-inning game if you're going to make the game six innings. 
An- an- another thing too, if the games aren't str- if the games aren't on television, even on the the local sports network that the that the team itself is on, uh, you know the team should be able to live stream the game on on social media. That is that is such a stupid rule, and like it kind of frustrates me because like you know I was looking forward to Trey Mancini coming back, and you know the game's not on TV, so I had to watch the the video of it later, and it li- literally the video was like professional quality. I'm like. Why can't they, like with camera angles and everything? I'm like, why can't they just live stream it on? I mean, I guess the you know the MLB has, you know, strict rules about that. Obviously, you know, professional leagues do. I think the NFL probably has the most strict strict rules when it comes to that. But it's just it's just irritating to me. I, w- I wish the MLB would have been a little more lax with that. Um, where where it seems like a lot less games, spring training games are being, um, you know, are not being shown on television. Uh, this spring training at least yeah mlb has all kinds of rules and all kinds of regulations regarding the the use of videos and highlights from games uh, it, i think it, they could make a lot of changes and we could spend a, a whole nother podcast talking about that very true very true <laughs> <laughs> that's true but dan you mentioned trey mancini what mm-hmm. a fighter that that's a comeback story he gets a uh, single or a double, a single in the game. A and single, um, yep, singles first to bat back after colon cancer. Yeah. I mean, it, what when I first heard Mancini got diagnosed with colon cancer, I was like, "Is there any way he's coming back?" But he he fought hard and he, he fought hard, and I, I think his girlfriend, a uh, former Orioles reporter, uh, was helping him out along the way too. I think. No, I mm-hmm. honestly think she was like a huge motivation for Trey Mancini as well. Absolutely, and and she kept him also like with social media. She kept him. He he and the fans connected because I'm not sure he he has social media, but I don't know if you know some some players a lot of players don't get too involved with that stuff which is which I think is a good thing you don't want that to become a distraction so she would she would often take videos of him and he would have um messages for the fans and stuff and I I always appreciated that especially not not just being an Orioles fan but being a baseball fan in general um it's yeah it's just an incredible story and you know it's it's not quite the Alex Smith story I I'm not going to compare it to that but certainly it has some shades of that I mean you know, he, he was diagnosed with cancer in, in March, you know, right before he you know, the season was about to begin. Um, and so that, I mean, that was a shell shock for a lot of folks. And yeah, like you said, Josh, he just fought and fought and fought. And I mean, um, I mean, he's, he's just resilient. I'm, I'm happy he's back for more reasons than one, but you know, most importantly, he, he has his health, man. He's, uh, I think, you know, I, I, I think it had to be extra difficult to go through it last year, especially during the pandemic, to have cancer. And, you know, during the times that we were living in, just an unbelievable, daunting thing. And and hats off to him. And and, and, and thank God he's OK. Yeah, that definitely is a really, really cool story and uh, happy for him and hope that he has a great season. Uh, he, he actually is one of the few players that I've gotten the chance to meet uh, through my job. Uh, he might be the only player I've met through my job. Um, we had Players Week on our channel. Must have been early 2020, like maybe January or February 2020, before you know the pandemic and everything. We had Players Week where we had all kinds of players on every show. And most of them were on Zoom or over the phone. But because Trey Mancini is 
in Baltimore and our channel is based out of Washington, DC. He came in in person as a guest. And so I was in the studio working that day and he just came in the studio and uh, our program director was showing him around the studios and he just came in and said, Hey, I'm Trey. I was like, yeah, I know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know who you are. Is that really what you said? No, that's not what I actually said. I probably just said, hi, I'm Matt. Nice to meet you. But wow. That's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, you're Trey Mancini. I know who you are. <laughs> I, awesome. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I'm, just, I'm just ready for this baseball season. But I, I mean, with this baseball season, I also wanted to touch on the fact that COVID, there is still a pandemic going on. Do you see any differing changes from the last 60-game season to this 162 game season in terms of COVID protocol? I think they are getting very strict with the protocols this season, even stricter than they were last year, if that's possible at all. I mean, they're taking this very seriously. They're making sure that the players are being very responsible and safe. They're not traveling outside their bubbles. They're wearing masks at all times. They are being extremely careful with the protocols throughout the entire season because they want it to go off without a hitch. They don't want to have the the breakouts like they did last or the outbreaks like they did last year and teams missing two weeks worth of games. They want to have the season just continue to go on and go smoothly. And I think that they can get it done, but it's going to take a lot of commitment from everybody throughout major league baseball. And so they are very strict with the protocols this season. I, there, I mean, there's a document that uh, we, we all got and it's, it's very long and very detailed. Uh, I, I couldn't even name all the protocols that they have, but they are very diligent with everything that they're doing this year to to uh, minimize the risks of COVID-19. And it probably have to be more so because, you know, they're, they're not playing in a bubble, um, it, at least now. I, I think maybe when they get to the playoffs, it'll become similar to sort of what they did last year. But, you know, that's definitely got to make it more difficult. And I think another thing, Matt, and I wonder if, if you agree, you know, they, they don't want an outbreak to happen in the beginning of the season like what happened last year with the Marlins when, you know, two weeks into the season we were saying, are we even going to have a season or is this going to be canceled? Um, I thought that you know, was it right there. Yeah, I thought yeah, I really did cut too. it off. Yeah, I really did too. I thought that was going to be the end of it. It's just um, – and it, 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 it was amazing. You know, the, the MLB really cracked down after that and I'm sure changed a lot of things, but – you know, this year they know what they're going up against. And, you know, I, I think it's a fantastic thing for them to, I mean, you, you have, you have to crack down because, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a very serious situation as much as, you know, as much as we want to see sports, it's still a pandemic. So you have to have to keep that in mind. It's, I just feel like sometimes I forget that there's a pandemic going on and I kind of take it for granted and I'm just like, Oh yeah, uh, that's still around. So Heck, I'm sure we're all going to forget there's a pandemic going on when we uh, come April 1st, opening day. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, we're playing baseball in a pandemic. I mean, the strides we have made uh, as a whole in this country, and I I think it's great that they're playing sports because in a pandemic, we could just easily be sitting at home with nothing to talk about sports-wise, but yet – there are still sports and baseball is coming back a full 162 game season. And I, uh, I, I feel like Matt, I'm not sure if you agree with me, 
or, or you know any more than me about this, but I feel like if any COVID protocols are going to get broken, there will be hefty fines associated. Yeah, I don't know the, the exact details, but I'm sure there will be some heavy punishments coming if, if the COVID proto- protocols are broken throughout the season. Yeah, so um, other than that, I, I, I think that about hits everything I've had on MLB baseball. I mean, sort of breaking it down. Obviously, there's so much more to cover about all the other divisions in baseball. Hey, Matt, uh, one last thing. Are there any other teams that we did not go over that you think could make an impact this season? You think that it could be a sleeper that could make a run towards a World Series? The Chicago White Sox. They had a great season last year. They made it to the playoffs. Didn't have success in the postseason. But, man, they are another loaded team with Eloy Jimenez and Yo Mancada and Luis Robert and Tim Anderson. And they have uh, Lucas Giolito on the mound. They brought in Lance Lynn. They have Dallas Keuchel. I mean, they are a stacked team, and they are going to be a a force to be reckoned with in the American League Central. That is going to be another fun division to watch between the Twins Mm -hmm. and the White Sox. I really, really – I like – I – have no reason to root for the White Sox other than they're fun to watch and they haven't had success in a long time. And I want to see them do well. I really want to see them do well this season. And I think they will. Dan, totally. I what uh, any other teams you think are sleepers in the MLB, in your opinion? No, I, I was thinking the White Sox too. Um, I mean, they, they've definitely reloaded, in the, in the offseason, I think, think uh, have even gotten better than they were last year. Um, and I, I definitely think that division, like like you said, Matt, is definitely the one to watch in the in the American League. Because I, I think we know what to expect really throughout the rest of the American League is, well, what, what we think will happen. So, um, yeah, that, that's going to be a fun division. And it really could come down to, you know, a team – even a team that makes a, if a team comes out of that division making a wild card game, you know, I, I really, I really don't put it past that team to make it far in the postseason. I really don't. Absolutely. So I, I think that's about all we have. Um, once again, Matt Atkins with the Foul Ball Area Podcast. Matt, it's been a lot of fun, buddy. We really appreciate the time you've given us, and I'm hoping we can get you on more again during the regular season for baseball to get your thoughts and predictions on everything MLB baseball. But once again, make sure you check out foulballarea.com and you can check out all of Matt's work. Matt, thanks once again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that little plug to foulball area there. And I'd be happy to come on throughout the season, break down what's going on around MLB. But right now I'm just looking forward to April 1st opening day, just uh, sitting down on the couch, cracking open a few Budweisers and watching some baseball all day long. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, man. And, I, and, and maybe you could have us on a couple beer tasting episodes there, Matt. Uh, yeah. We'll have to, yeah. Have, to, have to do that maybe virtually if we have to. But yeah, sure. Let's, yeah, we uh, could do that. that. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, a virtual beer tasting. I, I never thought of that. That, that, that might be it's interesting. Actually, it's actually really smart. Yeah. That that might be something to put on the back burner and try to do. But for the time being, um, I'm Josh. That's Dan.
coming up next, my interview with Olivia Garvey of ABC7 talking Nats baseball in the feel of spring training um, from what she has seen so far. We'll be back right after this. For sports fans living in condominium and homeowners associations, as well as business professionals, when you need a reserve study, PM Plus Reserves has been in business since 1990. Their studies are accurate and easy to understand. Check them out when your association needs a study, www.pmplusreserves.com. Reserves.com. You can also contact them at 703-803-8436. Once again, www.pmplusreserves.com. All right, we are joined now by a sports reporter with ABC7. She's been on the show with us before, Olivia Garvey of ABC7. Olivia, thanks for the time. How you been? I'm good. I'm good, Josh. How are you doing? Uh, doing all right. It's just a grind. Spring training uh, getting underway. Um, I want to talk know. solely with the Nationals we covered in our previous segment, like spring training in the MLB overall. But the Nationals, uh, local team, local market. So we got to get your thoughts. A lot of big names coming, a lot of familiar faces back with the franchise. First and foremost, I mean, obviously with you not being down there to cover the Nationals, um, from your perspective, what's the team's mindset as spring training is just getting kicked off? Um, What's their mindset? What's their attitude going into this year's spring training? You know what? It's so funny when I talk to Davey and I go on their Zooms as much as I can. They're such at weird times, like 930 a.m. And it's weird times, but I try to get on as much as possible. And Davey Martinez is the most, besides Ron Rivera, is the most calm manager I have ever seen. Dave Roberts is up there, too. But Davey's just calm. He, he treats spring training as this fun thing that these players go through to really get back in the groove of things. And he told me the other day, I asked him, so like, what's, what's your head? What's your head at? Where, where's your head at? How are, how are you feeling? He's like, you know what? It's just a chill environment here. I come in though. And the guys are playing music at six 30 in the morning. And, and I think their mindset is just so relaxed because that's who Davey is. Davey wants this, spring training, all spring trainings to be a relaxed place where these guys get their mindset before they start the regular season. And I love that he does that. He's so cool about it. And he's always nice and just so sweet. And these players, I mean, earlier in the off season, I was confused because they hadn't made any big moves. Not a lot of teams did uh, just because, you know, the money situation was so bad through the pandemic, but then more towards the end of the off season, they got a couple lefties. They got Schwarber. They got Bell. They got Hand. They got Lester. So they they really looked for some big name guys that were going to help this team in 2021. And I think they're going to do a great job. They're very very positive about it. So I I, I want to speak on these new additions here, as you just mentioned: Brad Hand, John Lester, mm-hmm. Kyle Schwarber, and Josh Bell. I I first want to talk about Lester and Schwarber. They're two big names that are veterans, but I've heard stuff about questions on their performance, if they're probably past their prime or not. From your point of view covering this team, 
how do you think they will perform on the field this year? Do you think they have more gas in the tank to give the nationals what they need? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, Lester, when he came on zoom, he, he said, cause he is, he's a veteran now. Um, unfortunately he's leaving right now to go get surgery on, I think it was his lymphoid. I think so. He's yeah. Always, he, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thyroid, his thyroid. Yes. His thyroid. And so, um, but he's going to recover. Davey said, and it's going to be fine. He said that to us this morning, yeah. but he's, he's so cool. He's such a cool dude and he knows what he's doing. And he said, I'm here to sit back and watch Corbin, Sch- uh, Scherzer, Strasburg do their thing. And then when they need me, I come in and do my thing. He's so cool like that because he knows those are the top three guys that are going to save this team. Um, Always, always and forever until the lights go out. So um, he's so cool. He's going to sit back and relax and watch them do their thing. And then he can still, he still has money in the bank. Like he, he's very good at what he does and he's going to come back stronger after he gets his surgery, I think. And, um, and apparently more energized according to Davey. So that'll be good too. (laughs) And Kyle Schwarber hitting two home runs in this past um, spring training game. Um, What are your thoughts on him? Love Schwarbs. Love Schwarbs. He is so cool. I have, I haven't known him personally, but I followed his career. Um, He would actually played travel ball with my older brother. And he is the guy that's going to step up the, to the plate and he's just going to hit bombs. He strikes out more often than, um, than he, he does anything else, but that's okay because most hitters in major league baseball do now. That is the way the game is played. There are more strikeouts than there are anything else. And that is the type of guy he is. Of course, he, he's just so strong. And you said two home runs already. He's going to be like that. This guy's going to be at the top of the list with home runs because he is that strong. And then you got bell, another lefty who's so good. He's just so good at the plate. And um, there are guys that you're looking at there. You're like, oh, yeah, the nationals did good. But I think as you watch them, they both hit home runs today. They're both ready to go. They're ready to be in DC. So I think those were two really good gets for DC. So uh, what's the mindset for the Nationals in terms of preparation from a shortened 60-game season to a 162-game season? Do you think there's any sort of differences in game plan, or are they just preparing like it's a normal season? They'll prepare like it's a normal season. Okay. Because, like, it's – I mean, it doesn't help them to prepare any way – any other way. They they have to prepare for a normal season – they and the, and especially for all of these guys, they have to get in the mindset of a 162 game season again. It's all mental. And so when I, I actually asked Zimmerman that, um, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, because he actually he took a year off, as many people know. So he has to get back. And I asked him more physical or more mental than it is physical for you right now. How hard is it going to be to get back that mindset? And he said it. it you got to work on it because this game is so mental driven nine innings of watching a pitcher, just throw and throw and throw and throw and keeping your head in the game. So um, they'll have to get back into that. But these guys are, these guys are professionals. They're athletes. They're going to be just fine. (laughs) They're ready to play 162 plus games. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I mean, 
still, I, I'm sort of surprised they went with 162 games, being that there is a pandemic. I'm sure there are more rules and regulations in place. Uh, do you know of any new ones as compared to last year? I mean, I, I don't. I only know that they're, I mean, I think they're doing extended playoffs again. Ooh, that'd be Maybe. nice. Maybe. I think they are. I don't know. I, I, I honestly, the MLBPA and the MLB are a situation that you don't want to get in the middle of. And until they figure out what they're doing, you just step back and you watch it unfold in front of you. <laughs> if we've learned anything last year, don't take anything that's been reported. But MLBPA will come out and tell them, tell you their side. And But um, no, it'll be interesting. I, I mean, I love the universal DH. I love that. I think that's great. Um, you know, no, we're not going to see pitchers hit anymore, but they don't want to be at the plate anyway. So <laughs> except maybe for like Bumgarner and the guys that can actually hit home runs. But other than that, it, it's fine. We don't need to see them anymore. <laughs> uh, two veterans um, for this uh, starting rotation, Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. Max Scherzer uh, with an ankle injury and Strasburg with numbness in his thumb. Any concern for the regular season or is this just minor injuries that they're going to overcome? They're going to overcome them. I mean, Strasburg, he's known to get hurt from time to time. I think we've known that over his long long career here already, but, um, no, I, th I think they know that those are their guys. They got Corbin, like I said, Scherzer and Strasburg. Those are their three top guys. They're going to go in there and they're going to lead this team. Like they do every year last year, not so much, <laughs> but 2019, they did a pretty good job. So I think that now that they do have the help from Lester in hand, um, and having those guys now in the rotation, I think it's going to be interesting, especially, They've got a great bullpen, so I think it'll be good. Nothing to look into. <laughs> Chatting with Olivia Garvey here on the Kirby on Sports podcast. Um, I, I want to talk about this Fernando Tatis contract. Massive extension, massive deal. Any way you look at it, he's staying there long term. But uh, a lot of people have been um, – situating this with Juan Soto and how Juan should be signed long-term based on Juan's performance and what you've seen. I, I know you're new to the DC sports area, but still, do you think the Nats need to lock up Juan Soto long-term? Absolutely. He's one of the best hitters in baseball and he gets overlooked so many times. And it's so astonishing to me. Like, he doesn't get overlooked. People know what he can do, but he doesn't get talked about the way other hitters do. And so they do, they need to pull the trigger and sign him. I think with the nationals though, and I I'm new to really covering the team, but what I've seen is that they don't want, they don't like long-term contracts like Bryce Harper. They were not going to give Bryce Harper 13 years, whatever, how much money they just don't like those long-term contracts. The Dodgers don't either. The Dodgers don't like those long-term contracts, except with Mookie Betts, but it's Mookie Betts. So, um, but Juan Soto, he deserves whatever Tatis Jr. is getting <laughs> because he is that good. He has already proved himself. The fact that he doesn't have, or I mean, I don't know if they're in talks. They should be in talks because everyone says Juan Soto should be here long-term. And I think he wants to too. And Trey Turner, maybe not as long as a contract, but I think that he deserves 
a good contract to stay here because you can tell they want to be here. Absolutely. Uh, I want to discuss a veteran Ryan Zimmerman after taking a year off Mm -hmm. uh, comments stated that he now knows that he's nowhere close to retirement. So with Josh Bell, um, getting picked up as a first baseman as well. Do you know how the time is going to be split between Bell and Zimmerman? So Zimmerman knows that he's Bell's backup. He knows that that's, he's considered a backup. Um, So it, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but when we were on zoom with Zimmerman, I think he knows, he knows where he stands and he's a vet. So he understands it's a business. This is how it works. They got Bell for a reason. Zimmerman took that year off and it wasn't, they didn't get Bell because Zimmerman took a year off. But I mean, he knows that, that he's going to be behind Josh Bell for a little while. Um, But Zimmerman even said when he re-signed, he's like, honestly, I'm shocked they gave me a major league contract and I didn't get a minor league one. (laughs) Like He was so surprised, but that's the kind of guy Ryan Zimmerman is. Like he knows this business. He knows that it's a business and he's going to take it the way that he knows he needs to and the way the team wants him to. So he's a pro. (laughs) What does it mean for this Nationals club with the amount of veteran leadership that this ball club has? I mean, it's, it's so good. It's so good. It's like the capitals, the caps have so many vets on their team and then they're guiding these younger guys. And um, I think it is so cool to have veterans. Obviously the younger squads um, are pretty good. (laughs) Obviously like the Padres and you know, the Dodgers and these younger squads are, are doing pretty well, but they have their veterans to guide them to get these young, because (laughs) In baseball, these guys are getting paid when they're 19, 20, 21, and it gets to their heads. Not everybody, but some, and you need to get grounded. And that's what Ryan Zimmerman is to this team. Like these guys are watching Zim and they're like, oh my gosh, like we want to be, we want to be him and they are him, but not to the extent. So veterans on this team are what hold it down. And I think the, I think the nationals love that. And I know Davey loves it too. All right. One last question. It does not have to do with the nationals whatsoever, but who do you see um, in the MLB? Uh, doesn't have to be the nationals, but who do you see? Who do you like this year to potentially make a case for the world series? Like the Dodgers again, or could it be another team? I mean, you, you have the floor essentially. The Do- I mean, the Dodgers, I, I, they're, Number one. I mean, look yeah. at them. They're, com- I mean, they have Bauer now. I mean, their rotation is ridiculous. They have Julio Urias. They've got uh, Bauer. They've got all these guys. Um, yeah. And I mean, their lineup is ridiculous with Bellinger and then they re-signed Turner and then you got Mookie Betts. It, it's completely stacked, but behind them are the Padres. I mean, their infield is ridiculous. Their lineup is ridiculous. They're, rotation with Snell now is ridiculous. So it's, I, it's those two, but anything can happen. It's 162 game season. The nationals could come in there. They're in very good spirits. So you just never know. But if I had to say who was going to win right now, it'd be the Dodgers. And that is not because I believe blue. It's just facts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, look, looking on paper, the mm-hmm. Dodgers 
are set to repeat as World Series champions. But yeah, you have 162 games, and who knows what can go wrong in that span of 162. That's what makes Major League Baseball so interesting. Yeah, there's never – it's not like basketball where you kind of know. Like, you're like, okay, come on. Like, last year – the Lakers, you kind of knew this year, the Nets are right there. Utah Jazz are right there. Sorry, I'm going into basketball. I'm so focused <laughs> on the Wizards now. It's unbelievable. But um, like, yeah, in baseball, that's what makes it so fun is because you could be doing so well. 2019 attests to this. You could be doing so poorly before the All-Star break like the Nationals were. And then you go after the all-star break and the nationals just freaking went nuts and they won the world series. So that's what makes it so cool. You have that time period where it's like, okay, wow, that came out of left field. (laughs) So that, yeah, I, you never know. You never know. Once again, Olivia Garvey um, on the Kirby on sports podcast. You can find her on Twitter at Olivia ABC seven. You need to follow her. You need to check out her work there. Olivia, thanks so much for hopping on. Thank you, Josh. I always love coming on with you, especially baseball. So anytime. Appreciate it. The Kirby on Sports Podcast wrapping up right after this. Is it finally time to upgrade your home's interior? How about with an authentic farm table made locally from recycled barn wood? Shenandoah Primitives, based right here in Winchester, Virginia, makes farm tables, benches, tables, coffee tables, and a long list of other items for your home decorating needs. At Shenandoah Primitives, function and style are combined for great furniture that will last generations. If you're interested in combining the industrial look of metal with wood or considering something incredibly unique with a live edge, Shenandoah Primitives turns those ideas into reality. Thinking about a mirror, wine rack, or other act and peace for your home, Shenandoah Primitives can assist with that as well. As a local small business, Shenandoah Primitives is happy to work with each client for a custom design or schedule an appointment to come out and view current inventory. Local, high-quality, handmade items can be found at Shenandoah Primitives. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or visit us at www.shenandoahprimitives.com. Once again, that's www.shenandoahprimitives.com. All right, big thanks to Matthew Atkins of the Foul Ball Area Podcast. You can check his workout at foulballarea.com. And thank you to Olivia Garvey, ABC7 News, um, to discuss the Nationals baseball scene so far during this um, spring training. Um, I'm Josh, and along with me, Dan Dembski. Um, Dan, once again, uh, Thanks again for coming on. Are there any last thoughts that any sports news or anything that um, you wanted to talk about that was not discussed in this episode? The floor is open. I think we covered everything I wanted to cover. Yeah, I don't think I really have anything other than the fact that, um, you know, March Madness is right around the corner and we're starting to see, uh, starting to see some of that come together. And it looks like both Duke and um, it could be Duke, UNC, and Kentucky could all be out. That's crazy. That would crazy be to huge. think about. That yes. would be very huge. UNC is looking unlikely because um, they've they've had some some wins here recently, and the, 
Also, they'll probably pick up a couple wins in the ACC tournament. Um, so they'll 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 probably slip in there. But yeah, man, Duke and North and uh, Kentucky could be out. It's just crazy. That's it's something to look out for. That that is really something to look out for in the next coming of week. As you know, it is March, so March is here. March Madness is right around the corner. I can't wait to fill out a bracket. It it's been a year since I filled out a bracket, Dan. Can you believe it? It, it it's so crazy to think about that. Like we haven't, you know, it was canceled last year, and I think we had this conversation. I said, "There's no way that the." the NCAA is going to go on without this event this year because it's a huge moneymaker for them, but it's all also just, just an eye turner too. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's craziness, man. And, and watch out for some of those smaller conference teams. I mean, we talked about UMBC, of course, in, uh, when was that? 2017? Uh, yeah, 2017 when they upset, um, UVA, of course, but there's, there's a decent crop of those, like those mid-tier teams this year um it's 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 going to be really interesting and, and and that includes liberty liberty's a team that they people have been talking about and if they're able to win that conference tournament which when you're in a small conference josh you got to win that tournament to get in get in got to win the conference tournament to get into the ncaa tournament my i say tournament a lot and it just gets <laughs> twisted around i forget Tongue where I twister no, 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 no. Tongue twister yeah. on a podcast is never good dan but no for one i do last... it all the time for one yeah. last time, that is Dan Dembski. I am Josh Kirby. Our sponsors, Regroup Building Services, PM Plus Reserves, Shenandoah Primitives, and Chief Graphics. Big thanks, as always, to Dave Johnson and Productions by Quet as well. You can find the Kirby on Sports podcast on all podcast platforms, anywhere you find podcasts. Catch us, check us out day, night on your commute, anytime, anywhere. Until the next time. We see you, we hear you, you hear us, however you find us. Until the next time, always continue to create greatness, and we will catch you next time. So long, and peace out.